0: (laughs) (laughs) Well he's a, he's a captain of earwidge's. That didn't give us a laugh to (laughs) this. Hello and welcome to Goon Pod, the podcast in which we examine the goon show and the goons themselves. That can be films, books, television series. I guess we'll eventually work our way through every Peter Sellers film. Uh, But I'm not doing the 1972 hospital comedy Where Does It Hurt, because that's awful. Jake, you haven't seen Where Does It Hurt, I take it?
1: Fortunately, that one has escaped my notice, yes.
0: Yeah, it's, ter- it's terrible. The film climaxes with Peter Sellers, who's a crazy doctor, uh, calling a nurse a witch. And she says, you wasted." Oh, wow. <laughs> but um, that was the point I ejected the video and threw it out the window. <laughs> so as you've been hearing, uh, I have a guest. Well, I always have a guest, but I have a special guest uh, with me today. It is the motor racing commentator and TV presenter, Jake Sanson. Hello, Jake.
1: Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. It's a real honour.
0: Obviously, we were in contact via social media and you indicated that you're a massive fan of The Goons. You're obviously um, too young to have heard them first time round. So how did you discover The Goons?
1: Well, I'm very much indebted to my mother. Uh, She was the Uh, guiding light to all of my comedy journey. I think she started me off at the age of eight with Hancock's Half Hour, of all things. Uh, The very first episode I heard of that was The Americans Hit Town. Uh, Uh But she also had a volume of uh, uh, comedy programmes called The Goon Show. And I'm like, is this any good, Mum? And she said, oh, yes, I'm sure you'll find that uh, very entertaining. Uh, So I gave it a whirl. Uh, And the very first episode I ever heard was The White Box of Great Bardfield. Absolutely fabulous, fabulous episode about uh, shipping snow to Khartoum. (laughs) And uh, yeah, absolutely. I I thought, yeah, this is definitely my cup of tea. And um, yeah, I've been listening to it since I was about eight, nine years old. Uh, I own as much of the audio recordings as I possibly can, even the ones that are very, very difficult to obtain, things like Crazy People with Michael Benteen. Managed Mm. to find some of them. And uh, it's just absolutely phenomenal and you can hear the sort of the timeline of British industry and uh, politics and everything through the 1950s right the way up to about 1960-61 uh, as you listen to The Goons and it's absolutely phenomenal and I genuinely am of the opinion that every single comedy show we watch now, uh, Step 2 and Son through Faulty Towers through all of these incredible things like the good life and uh, only fools and horses the it crowd in the current era all of that can trace its roots back to the goon show without the goon show i don't think comedy would be anywhere near as funny as it is now mm. it, it's phenomenal i i'm so indebted to them because i mean most of my uh, spotify uh, output and a lot of my audible output as well is the goons and the works of them so everything from the parkinson interviews with peter sellers and spike milligan i have those as well because i think it's actually a really important uh side plate as it were to the goons it kind of gives you an idea of their thinking and i've watched countless uh documentaries uh with spike yes of these uh i have a, a rare few cassette tapes still left which need to be transferred Uh, To digital, and I'm currently in the process of doing it and started doing it through lockdown. And um, there was a fabulous uh, recording uh, that I managed to get in about 2004, I think it was, of what was known as Goon Show Night on BBC Radio 2. There was a whole night dedicated to them from about 7 pm all the way through till about 11 pm, which had uh, Spike Milligan's favourite episode. Uh, which was The Fear of Wages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you had uh, so many fantastic contributors, uh, great comedians who were chipping in with their favourite uh, moments and what their upbringing through it. So people like Eddie Izzard and Ardlo Hanlon and Al Murray, the pub landlord, all these kind of people that had grown up around the goons, and listening to them and loving them. And I have found this tape, so I'm going to have to put it into digital mode so that I can continue to uh, give it life.
0: No, yeah, I've got, I think I, I probably have a lot of that content I basically have the, all the Goon Show compendium Ah, releases, which, you know, fair enough, you have to remortgage the house to pay for them, but it's (laughs) it's worth it. It's Um, not
1: so bad if you're an Audible member. I mean, they don't have all the compendiums on there, admittedly. They don't have all of them. They only have about uh, five or six of them, but most of uh, the Goon Show works they have. The thing I loved about the Goon Show is that they all thought sideways. Yes. every single one of them they just thought sideways <laughs> and that's you know you, you have to defy logic you have to take away reason uh, and logic i mean uh, my one of my favorite stories about the the way that a goon show works uh, was from eric sykes who co-wrote many of them obviously with spike yeah. and he would say that you know one of the best things he ever wrote that and gave to spike and spike loved it was when someone was trying to explain to him about gravity and how gravity works and Eccles is there going, oh, yeah. It's like, do you understand? I said, no. So he says, okay, well, jump up in the air. So Eccles would jump in the air. So like, now you came back down to Earth, didn't you? Yeah. So why? He said, because I live here. <laughs> That's goon show thinking. That is goon show thinking. Yes. It, 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 it doesn't make any logical sense, but it does. You know, yeah. it, it, it's completely logical, but it's
0: illogical. It's it's very similar, I guess, to the uh, everybody's got to be somewhere yes. line. <laughs> I love that. I mean,
1: one of the best things I ever heard Spike Milligan say, and I actually live by this doctrine whenever, you know, I see somebody with a fancy car or I see someone with the latest toy or gadget or anything. And I'm seeing, I'm in a world full of millionaires in racing and I don't have the latest gadget. I don't have this latest thing. I actually think of a Spike Milligan line and I live by this doctrine now, which is a man can't have everything. Where would he put it? (laughs) I adore it. I absolutely adore it. It's so true. It's so true.
0: So, Uh, Obviously, you know, you've you've come on to talk about the goons, but I wanted Mm. to build our conversation around a particular show, The Great Bank Robbery. Yes. From uh, Series 7, which is not to be mistaken with, or not to be confused with, The Great Bank of England Robbery, which was a show Mm. um, which they re-recorded for the Vintage Goon series. Yeah. So The Great Bank Robbery was from uh, November 1956, and it's the bass drum episode.
1: Yes, uh, this is a, a, a very appropriate episode for someone like me, obviously, because as far as I'm aware, this is the only Goon Show episode that references motor racing in any way, shape or form. I think it's the only one. But essentially, the idea around this particular episode is that uh, uh, Nettie obviously wants to compete in the Tour de Britain five-day bass drum race. Mm-hmm. Fabulous concept. <laughs> Clearly taking the mickey out of the Monte Carlo rally and these sort of events. And... Um, He obviously wants to race in this fabulous event. It's very prestigious. And uh, good old Moriarty and Grip Pipe Thin, they decide, well, we can actually utilise Neddy, the Charlie that he is. Uh, We'll utilise him and we will hide uh, £50,000 from Henry Crun's bank into Neddy's bass drum. And no one will be any the wiser. We'll be able to use this as a great way to rob the bank, uh, hide it in the bass drum. And then when he gets to the finish line at Land's End, uh, we'll be able to intercept and take the bass drum off him, and we'll have the money. And it's a, it's a fabulous British, uh, it, it, you know, it's very similar in style to sort of the Monte Carlo or Bust yes, or uh, those yes. magnificent men in their flying machines. That sort, of, uh, that sort of style of caper. Fabulous movies. And, and that's another thing that I, I collect. I actually collect uh, movies in the world of motorsport. But, yeah, it, it, the, the concept of this particular episode, I mean, a lot of this one is, I mean, they did a lot of uh, deprecation towards Neddy by then and moriarty they always thought he was a bit of a clown and didn't know anything but particularly in this one particularly in this uh episode they really have a go at him from the start uh, and i have i have made many notes on this particular episode that are, are just little things that this episode really characterizes why i personally love the goons there's tiny little things that i remember from it right from the start you know they the thing I loved about the Goon Show was they always integrated music in a way that made it really funny. Yes. So right from the start, you know, have a bugle. Ah, oh, so fragrant. And they're only <laughs> ten and six a packet. And then about two minutes later it's like, Neddy, have a trombone. Yeah, well they're lower than bugles and they suit you. You know, it's just it's so beautifully creative, the writing.
0: Somebody described or many people have described comedy as good comedy as like jazz. Yeah. And obviously, you know, it's no coincidence that Milligan was keen jazz man and he was a phenomenal
1: band. jazz musician, absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Th- this this episode as well. Uh, the one thing I liked about the Goon Show was they were always very, very good at taking one gag and just running with it for an entire episode. Yes. and for yes. me, a, a, a great a great string of humour and the great comedians. A lot of stand ups do this. Uh, people like Billy Connolly, uh, the pub landlord Al Murray, uh, a lot of other people uh, from you know the great days of stand up. Uh, through the 60s, 70s, 80s, they were really, really good at being able to take one joke and keep coming back to it and keep bringing you back in. So by the time you've just recovered finishing from that <laughs> laugh, you're straight back into the next one. And this episode's really good for that uh, because Neddy Seagoon blasts at Wallace Greenslake. I'm innocent. I'm absolutely innocent. yes, yeah. And it's, it's all the way through the episode. It's like, I'm innocent. Absolutely innocent. I wasn't there. I was with Jim, you know, Jim, <laughs> big Jim. And Wallace is desperately trying to get through his script. It's like, Will you shut up?
0: Like, every five seconds. He mentions Little Jim at one point. He does. Which, which is um, before the actual debut of the character Little so
1: Jim. So that's the first ever reference of Little Jim? Possibly. Not quite sure. I wasn't aware of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, Harry Seacombe in this, I mean, Harry Seacombe's always great in every Goon show, but he's on particular top form in this show, this
1: particular episode. Oh, yeah. Episode. I think there's there's two episodes in particular where you really get to see Neddy Seagoon at his absolute finest. It's this one, and the other one as well is uh, the case of the fake Neddy Seagoons. And again, it's like Neddy in prime form. Absolutely just on it. And it's energy, timing, uh, being in the right place. The thing I love about Neddy as well, uh, Harry Seacombe obviously being an operatic singer, even the pitch of his voice Mm. is absolutely comically (laughs) perfect every single time. You just can't help but fall about laughing. And I think this episode in particular, it's given me more laughs over the years than any other episode, just because of his rhythm, of his pace, of his ability to interject into the silence at exactly the right moment with, I'm innocent. Just just dragging it straight (laughs) in. And it just keeps, it's one of the the, the art of a good joke is if it just keeps getting funnier, even though it shouldn't. You know, nothing about this should keep being funny. But it does, and it just keeps growing, it keeps getting funnier.
0: What always makes me crack up is when, is that bit when Seagoon does his
1: (laughs) It's an absolutely phenomenal skill. And it's like, it, it, the response from Peter every time was always, oh, please don't do that full face. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's just sensational. It's the ultimate comeback to that. There, there is nothing else you can say uh, but I'm, to that. I'm but-
0: wondering, I'm wondering whether Seekham kind of improvised that in the sense that he, you know, maybe in the script, it was just what, 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 what? And he just decided to really... To it was something really he could do. Yeah. Something accelerate it. Yeah.
1: I think yeah. so. Because I, I think all three of them, you can hear it so often. And having bought the scripts and read through uh, along with the actual shows, there are so many incidents within the Goon Show where the script is thrown out. Yes. So often over the course of it, the, They've read the script two or three times uh, and then they go to record it live. And there are so many times when they just completely deviate and they did it. You know, they did it purely to see if they could get a laugh out of each other. They were having so much fun doing it
0: no i i've i've always this has always been one of my favorite goon shows you know all the performers milligan seek and sellers they're all firing on all cylinders uh and and even the ending there's a there's a handful of goon shows where the cast will sort of sing along or ad lib over the closing music yeah it's sellers as grip pipe thin shouting over Wallace Greenslade as he's reading out the credits. I know. So, I,
1: when I thought that, I heard that. I thought, surely they're not going to allow that into the broadcast. <laughs> but they didn't have any choice. It was, it was a slide. And it, it actually surprises me when I listen to the other episodes of The Goon Show that they didn't do the singing along with the closing theme music more often. It was just, mm. for whatever reason, that night. The vibe was just so high tempo for whatever reason it might have been. And they were just on so much energy that they just had to keep it going, singing along with it. And whenever I play the theme tune to The Goon Show, that closing credits to anybody, it's that version of it. It's them singing along with it, because I think that is very reminiscent of what The Goon Show is about. It is just being silly, having a laugh and letting the music go in a completely different direction.
0: Yeah, you can hear the boys in the band as well whooping and hollering a lot of the time. Yeah. Over the, uh, and and it makes you wonder what the cast are actually doing.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the things I like, I like in the sense that you know that it's not just three guys uh, and uh, an announcer. There is so much more to The Goon Show than that. And I would not at all be surprised if, you know, Harry, Peter and Spike, they actually got really close with a lot of the musicians. Because you're there week in, week out. And mm. they're part of the family. You know, it's like the unsung heroes of the goon show and the musicians are the young sung heroes of the goon show whenever i describe it to people who are listening to it i say to them this isn't just any ordinary comedy show this isn't just any ordinary script it's going to make you feel like you're in the middle of lawrence of arabia or ben-hur mm. and stupid stuff is happening because the, the the music is like a hollywood oscar winner it's that level it's so ridiculously over the top but done in an incredibly artistic way." And this episode, again, in particular, it's so good at building an atmosphere, but then destroying it in a split second. Like in the opening sequence, you've got that huge drum roll and you think it's you think it's going to be something really spectacular. And then it just ends up being a fizzle on a bugle mute. You know, it's just just completely ridiculous.
0: It's someone playing a bum note. Yeah, it is.
1: Uh, you've also got towards the opening the first time you have that big meeting at Crun's Bank when they they're obviously having a board meeting or something it's it's the birth of some of the greatest comedy writing that's ever been written uh some of the one-liners and the, the jokes that come out of it i see that sort of humor in things like black adder and see that in things like uh only fools vicar of dibley and whatever and the the, the sequence in particular that I, I i always find you know the most hilarious in that uh, it's the, you know, when they're trying to figure out about the locksmiths and they're talking about the only one other person knows the combination to the vault lock. Uh, who's that? The swine who stole all the money last night. It's a fabulous <laughs> line. And it just, it's, it's I've seen that sort of style of comedy now in so many of the best sitcoms yeah. that have ever been written. It's that sort of, you know, drop the clangor right in the middle of something that sounds quite uniform. It's wonder. Yeah. It, it's terrific writing. This episode in particular, I know that Spike loved the fear of wages but i genuinely think in terms of a script this one was genuinely one of his finest works i've
0: got a feeling i've got a hunch and i don't know why that line about the swine who stole all the money last night i've got a hunch that could be a larry Stevens line
1: it wouldn't surprise me at all yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all i mean when larry did a lot of the stuff with spike you could see that there was a little bit more not necessarily structure but it was a little bit more uniform a little bit more yeah sort of semblance of normality but Spike would just push it a little bit further over that line, as it were. Larry was there to kind of create a, a, a story, as it were, and Spike would just nudge it over the, you know, nudge it over the line a little bit. I mean, oh. even in this episode, the offerings of Max Geldray and Ray Ellington, in between, there was something about the energy in them that night. And I've heard a lot. Obviously, you and I both—we've heard a lot of the episodes of the Goons, and we've heard nearly all of, you know, Geldray and yeah. Ellington's performances. But again, even in this one, Geldray just happened to have an extra dial of energy in his performance that night. There was something ridiculously spectacular about it. And mm. he was, for me, and I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough in that I've been able to hear a lot of, Uh, sort of jazz music in different bits and pieces, and I've heard a few different harmonica performers, I genuinely do feel that Max Geldrae was the greatest harmonica performer of all time. He had the soul, he had the tempo, he had the vibe, he could read a room, he could get the energy up there, and you could feel it in him. You really could Mm -hmm. feel the music in him when he played. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a spectacular performance from a technical viewpoint. It had soul, it had heart. And that's what makes, again, the music in The Goon Show really, really pleasant. Ellington is there because it's fun. You know, everything he ever did was fun. He was very, very impressive. He was not quite on the same sort of Nat King Cole and Sammy Davis Jr. style of level that I think he was trying to attain in his music. And you can yes. hear that he's trying to get to that sort of level. But he had the fun. He had mm. the heart. And you can hear that in everything he does. And again, in this particular recording i don't think this one was ellington's finest but he definitely had an energy and a playfulness that it's it's intoxicating you know you you have to get in there with it and you're part of that sort of party vibe it's a really really good episode for them as well
0: so you're you not a filthy heathen like me who used to fast forward through the musical bits uh there were times
1: when i would yeah that, you yeah. know what i think in my younger days i would fast forward through them uh Now that I'm sort of in my early to mid thirties, I think the music is actually part of the show. And I think I've got to that point now where I realise that you can't really have it without it. But I have been through phases where I'm only interested in having a laugh and and yeah you do fast forward through their performances i think I th- and i think if everybody admits it to themselves <laughs> there have been times when you've gone yeah i'm just not in the mood for max or ray today i just i just i just want to get to the funny bit that's what i signed up for uh, now i kind of I've, I've read into it a bit more and my passion for it has kind of indulged so i do see max and ray as a very technical part of the structure of a show so I, i'm inclined to fast forward it less now
0: I always like to look at you know what's going on around you know in the world, what's going on with the goons themselves, you know whenever a particular show's gone out. So mm. I was looking at I was looking at what was happening in November '56 and what you said earlier about the goon shows holding a mirror up to Britain in the '50s. Uh, mm. The week before this show went out, the Suez crisis ended, humiliating situation that Britain. Could have avoided. The Royal Navy patrols Egypt's coastline while its carrier-based Venoms, Wyverns and Seahawks carry out their task of destroying NASA's airfields and supporting the Anglo-French landings in the Canal Zone. Working in close cooperation with the RAF, they play their part in a round-the-clock bombing programme which brings high praise from the Army Chiefs. The, the Ying Tong song was actually in the charts.
1: Uh, oh, right. In November
0: fifty-six. This was only
1: in the 1950s i I think about music today and i think you know the goon show the goon show hit parade was of its time you could never get music like that into the charts now but it's just wonderful that there was a period of musical history where at top of the pops of the time or the radio (laughs) one chart show of the time would have had to have played the ying tong song it's wonderful it it, it pleases (laughs)
0: me and the fact it got to number three it's pretty impressive just last week, I recorded one of these with a guest and we were talking about The Muppet Show. And as a little sort of bonus at the end of the podcast, right at the end, I tacked on the Ying Tong song, which was performed on The on the Muppet Show. Did you, did you know about this? I didn't know he'd actually performed it on the show. I know that
1: Spike had been on The Muppet Show. I vaguely remember the very fabulous sequence he did with a newsreader where the Mm -hmm. newsreader would read all of the stories and Spike would act them out charade-style in in (laughs) just the the most obscure, uh, mad ways, throwing sheep across the stage and all sorts of things. Uh, And then eventually, you know, uh, a newsreader was attacked today by a mad English comic and then Spike (laughs) went, oh, we must find him, and ran off. (laughs) (laughs) It's just
0: pure Spike. Well, no, but the thing is, you'd think, okay, the Yingtong song, Milligan's going to perform that. But no, it was actually performed in a show that had neither Sellers or Milligan. Wow. And I don't know why it was was on one of the Muppet shows from, I think, about 1980, 81. And I can't even remember who the guest was. Uh,
1: I so... am starting to go back and re-watch uh, Muppet Show, actually. Thank goodness for Disney+. Plus. I know we're getting mm. off topic. But thank goodness to Disney+, Plus for putting the back. Because, again, I actually think there's a lot of similarities. I actually oh, yeah. think, to a certain extent, the Muppet Show was to television, what The Goon Show was for radio. If you sit back and watch like the first two seasons of The Muppet Show, some of the stuff they came up with, what were they on? Seriously, what were they smoking? What were they (laughs) drinking? To come up with some of these ideas. But I sit there and think, I'm fairly sure I've seen something similar to this when I've been listening to The Goon Show. There's such a similarity. Uh, And I I adore it. I think it's the only way you could have ever televised The Goon Show, but The Muppets went and did it instead.
0: Yeah, because Milligan was desperate to be on The Muppet Show.
1: <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> well, it was quite amusing anyway, in the sense that the Muppet Show—they went to the American networks and they all said no, mm. and so they went to Lou Grade in the UK and went, "Yeah, we'll give it a go." So again, it's the kind of the, the British tolerance for zany humor. Yep, we get yep. it, we go for it. Why not? Let's just see what happens. And that's why we're so much more tolerant. That's why Monty Python is so British. It would never have worked in America. They would never even consider that this might be okay. You've mm. got to be British to kind of think, well, we're just going to do things slightly more weird, slightly mm-hmm. more odd. I mean, the Beatles are English. There's nothing like that in America. There's nothing like the Beatles. It's only us. It's only our weird, zany, slight oddity of British humour. I mean, even even when you listen to like the interviews of people like Paul McCartney and whatever, and they, they actually referenced this in um, Spike Milligan's tribute, I think, years ago. They referenced it. Uh, when John Sargent was saying the Beatles were really big fans of the goons and they actually sounded positively goonish when they conquered America for the first time, when they landed. Yep. And the, the interviewer, I think, said, you know, what are the, what is the Beatles? Why did you come up with that name? And they said, oh, ask John. John will tell you. And uh, <laughs> they said to John, well, it's just a name, isn't it? It's like, shoe. And Paul McCartney just pipes up, yeah, the shoes. You see, we could have been called the shoes for all you know. And that just sounds so much like it's out of a goon show. It genuinely does. And then they asked him, you know, how do you you find the United States? And Paul McCartney just pipes up, turn left at Greenland. (laughs) Again, that is a very goon show line. That is such a goon show line.
0: What do you call that haircut, Arthur?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That that could have come straight off the pen of Eric Sykes.
0: Yeah, so... Again, just getting back to when this particular show went out, at, at the time Son of Fred was was on ITV, which yep. was obviously Sellers and Milligan's attempt to kind of translate goon humour to to television. Mm. And... Was
1: that the famous show where they decided to leap into a dustbin and dance? Yes. That was that show, wasn't it? Son of Fred.
0: There was a show called Fred of which I think one episode exists which I have seen recently. And yes, yeah, Son of Fred was the the follow-up. I'm not sure. I think right. it might have been that one that had the dustbins sort of Again, dance. The yeah. only
1: thing, it's, it's the kind of thing that would only work on radio, but the fact that they decided to put it on television, is wonderful.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think Sellers around this time was either about to start or had just started filming The Smaller Show on Earth. And the reason I mention that is because that film features Bernard Miles. Mm. And Bernard Miles pops up in one of the uh, later Series 7 Goon Show episodes, which was Oh the, yes, he did. The Rent Collectors. That's right which was where Little Jim first was heard.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Um, and I'm just wondering whether, you know, Sellers had become pally with Miles and said, fancy coming on Sunday and reading out a few lines for us.
1: It's a very good point. There, there were some fabulous uh, guest appearances some mm. uh, uh, on The Goons, and I, I think that's also one of the things that I found, uh, very interesting ones. Uh, I, and, you know, on that same volume as The Great Bank Robbery, the one that I liked was um, Tales of Montmartre, where they managed to get the ultimate Radio 4 female voice for anything. I think she did pretty much every radio show that was going in those days uh, with Charlotte Mitchell. And she did fabulous, fabulous turn as, you know, the token French. And she had some amazing laughs that are never really remembered in Goon Show uh, folklore. But that fabulous sequence um, where they're having a fight... And she just says, they were still at it when I came back from the pictures. <laughs> it's just, just this fabulous bit of diatribe in the middle. That's sort of almost to the side. And again, that was another thing I liked about the Gun Show was the, the constant, dear listeners, you know, almost to the side. This is this is the bit that you're uh, privy to. The rest of the cast aren't privy to this bit, but just you, just you, your interest. It's a wonderful start. I don't think that had ever really been done before in quite that way. Because everything before then had been, you know, the sort of, you know, Charlie Chester sort of style of humour before that. Mm.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. And
1: it was it was never really a sort of, we're in the middle of a story, but dear listeners, I'm just going to fill you in on some plot. That <laughs> never really happened, I don't think. Certainly you'll never on things like Take It From Here and, you know, Itmar, It's That Man Again. They, these sort of things, it just never really happened in quite that sense. It was all kind of part of the structure of the show. It was never really a, uh, let's move aside and talk about this. Uh, so that the listener has a little bit more of an understanding. Yeah, it's, uh, it was it's very, it's, very clever.
0: It's, it's their way of breaking the fourth wall. One thing I really enjoy is the references to notable people of the day who mm. probably aren't, aren't, aren't remembered anymore. People like Gilbert Harding, known as the rudest man in Britain at the yes. time. He's probably one of the most famous people in Britain. There's a, a reference as well, which I, I picked up on, uh, mm. was the, the commentator on the bass drum race. <laughs> who's talking about the uh the various uh, competitors and at one point he mentions sheila van Dam.
1: yeah yeah absolutely now, now not a lot of people would know even now uh who sheila van damme was i mean the two the two racing drivers that they really make a note of in that sequence is sterling moss who of course everybody knows and you know that, that that's still that even transcended into a a line that is still being used today when people pull, you know, boy racers over. They always still say, you know, who do you think you are? Sterling Moss. Yes, yes. And it's it, that, that, you know, nobody else has ever had that power, but Sterling Moss did. But yeah, Sheila Van Dam. it's interesting. Even in the world of motor racing, not many people actually remember the significance and the importance of Sheila Van Dam. but she was actually a phenomenal athlete and a phenomenal character within British society. I mean, she was rallying all the way through that year.
0: Yeah, the reason that I picked up on the name was, I was thinking Van Dam, And I thought, I wonder if she's, if that's someone who's related to, or the daughter of Vivian Van Dam, and, and I'm wondering why, because you know the significance of Vivian Van Dam to The Goons. Go on. He ran, or he owned and ran, the famous Windmill Theatre. Yes. Which is where Seacum and Benteen and Sellers all I think are on I'll, stage.
1: I'll, I'll, te- I'll tell you why the link is there because Vivian was Sheila's father.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, yep. I, I googled. I googled her basically. Yep. Yes.
1: Yeah. She was probably the Colin McRae of her day. She was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, she won so many events. I mean, she was part of. Uh, she won the Manufacturers Team Prize at the Monte Carlo Rally two years over she was the European ladies rally champion in the 50s she got a class win on the Mille Miglia which a lot of Formula One drivers wouldn't attempt in those days because it was suicidal uh, you were almost signing up for a death wish if you competed in the Mille Miglia uh, so she was a phenomenal competitor probably one of the greatest racing drivers of the 1950s Mm-hmm. and not many people even remember her, partly because she was a woman, but partly because it wasn't in Formula One. But yeah, Sheila Van Dam was a, a very big national celebrity in her own right, but obviously her entire upbringing would have been around Vivian and the Windmill.
0: Someone who really is just as much at home abroad as she is in this country is Sheila Van Damme, probably the world's fastest woman racing driver and winner of
1: 26 international rallies. Now at the peak of her racing success, she is retiring to concentrate on a less hazardous but equally tough career in show business, preparing for the day
0: when she will eventually take over the reins of London's Windmill Theatre from her father, Vivian Van Damme. In terms of the Bagoon show itself, do you have particular characters that you have a particular fondness for?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, For me, the play-by-play in every episode between Eccles and Blue Bottle Mm. is without a doubt what makes the goon show the goon show uh, for me blue Bottle, when he is frightened was always when he was at his funniest and yeah. in this episode it's a again a great um the line there's somebody straining in a dark corner <laughs> over there i mean it's there are so many con- con- connotations of that so yes. many things that that could mean a- and that's what the, it's, the, it's the pure innocence of a five-year-old Bluebottle. You know, it's the pure <laughs> innocence of a little boy who has no idea what he's saying. Yeah. Um, but Bluebottle, when he's terrified, is particularly funny because it's just... you know I, I think Peter Sellers gave himself the opportunity to say things and speak in a way that he just wouldn't be able to get away with if he was a grown-up. Yeah. And uh, with, with Eccles, I mean, he is the goon in The Goon Show. I think it's very fair to say that the play-by-play between him uh, and Bluebottle with uh, Asking for the Time is obviously the most famous exchange they ever had. And it, it, it's just run and run forever. I've got it written down on a piece of paper. It's the most ultimate, the ultimate Goon Show script between them. And you've probably talked about it before. But even here in this one, you know, right at the end of the episode when they're waiting for the finishers to come in <laughs> and they're kind yeah. of just looking at each other go, going, oh, the other runners are finished. Oh well, then he stands a good chance of coming in last. <laughs> this is such a goon show line. Yeah. I, I, I have actually used this once. <laughs> right, I, I, I'm, I'm very proud to have. I, I've actually worked the goon show into a commentary. Oh, there wow, was, in a professional <laughs> capacity. In, in a professional capacity, line. yeah, absolutely. There was a race. I think it would have been Auto GP on Eurosport back in about 2014. It was a race where lots of cars were dropping out. I think they had about four different leaders in four laps. It was one of those. And we only had about six to seven runners left in the race by the end. But um, there was a guy who went off, I think, at turn, turn three or turn four at the, eight, at the Red Bull ring where we were racing, went, flew off the road, parked it backwards and I thought he was done for the day but he was trying to struggle to get himself back out again he was still trying to kick the car back into life and get back on the circuit so I said oh well uh, he's doing okay then he is trying to recover so he stands a good chance of coming in last and uh, (laughs) there you go that's it I worked a goon show line from my childhood into uh, a professional I I love being able to do things like that but Blue Bottle and Eccles their exchanges are I I lived for those in my youth they were just brilliant
0: yeah, has his age ever been established, though? I mean, I,
1: I, I assume. I mean, the way I interpret it is that he's five, six years old. He can't be much more
0: than that. Because I've always had him down as kind of this sort of ageless adolescent who. Because ah. there are a few, well, there's more than a few shows where there's evidence of sort of burgeoning carnality.
1: Yeah, almost. he knows. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. He knows about, you know, things like stocking tops and suspender <laughs> belts and things, doesn't he? It's clear that he's overheard a conversation by his parents that he shouldn't have ever heard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th- th- there's there's definitely a link there in something. I I always just assumed he was too young to know what it was really about. Um, and so yes. he's sort of guessing.
0: I I'm still guessing. at the age of of 47 we all are (laughs) i i know absolutely like you when i was younger i absolutely adored the echoes and blue bottle exchanges i've become more inclined to to really enjoy the grip pipe and moriarty exchanges
1: oh absolutely and there was some absolute gold dust lines in this one I could never work out... This is the thing I loved about Grit Pipe Thin and Moriarty. I could never work out who was the intelligent one. Because one of them had to have some intelligence to them to make any of these scams work. And on paper, it's Grit Pipe Thin. But there are times when Moriarty is actually the more intelligent one of the two of them. And it, it, it's wonderful how it sort of changes halfway through an episode sometimes.
0: The, the sort of the, the mid-period Moriarty had a slightly different voice, had a deeper voice. He did, yeah. Se- seemed to be shrewder, seemed to be smarter, but then as the show progressed and got to series 8, series 9 and series 10, the character has just become a wreck. Yes!
1: <laughs> it's almost like he's dying on set. He's dying yes. on air. and it, it is It is very clever how they've managed to make that happen all the way through. I think one of the best lines that Moriarty ever came up with is in this actual show. And it's... It's a joke that's almost completely unsighted. And it's such a dad joke. It's such a dad joke. I've used this joke uh, as, a, as a proud father myself. And um, it's just, it's a complete throwaway line. It's make for John Groats, He's a friend of mine. Oh, yeah. And it's just, that's such a weak joke. But again, because you've been giggling away to everything else. yeah. But so
0: with, with, with weak jokes, there's loads of weak jokes in The Goon Show, which are elevated and made fantastic just by... Oh,
1: they're, they're sort of framed by the whole concept and style and essence. You're allowed to get away with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and many, many times, the thing I also love is that many times these jokes are embraced as the worst jokes you're ever going to hear. And yet you still laughed at them. It's like you're almost... They almost point the finger at you. You still laughed at it. You know that was a bad joke. You shouldn't have laughed at it. That was a music hall joke. We've literally taken a music hall joke, thrown it into the Goon Show, and you still laughed at it. It's almost—it's <laughs> almost accusatory. It's—it's it's almost like the Goons poking fun at the audience, like you know that that's a bad joke, and you still laughed. So you can't blame us for telling it.
0: And now a little monologue entitled The Canterbury Bells Won't Ring Tonight, The Old Deans Dropped Another Clangor. <laughs> <laughs> it was Christmas I night say, in the workhouse. I, I say, I say, I say. You rude man, will you kindly not interrupt my act when I'm entertaining these nice ladies and gentlemen? I say. Can you tell me what is it that has eight wheels and flies? What is it that has eight wheels and flies? Yes, what is it that has eight wheels and flies? I don't know what is it that has eight wheels and flies. Two corporation dust carts. I don't wish to know that. So what about the the other characters or the the, the minor characters that turn up in the show? Because we've got Hmm. Seacombe doing his Fred Nurk character. (laughs) Um, Despite his best efforts, Seacombe can never disguise his voice.
1: No, he can't. I I, kind of love that. You know, the other two, they can come up with different voices. But Harry Seacombe would always sound like Harry Seacombe, no matter how hard he tried. You know, he can Mm -hmm. never sound like anyone else. And the Fred Nurk character is, you know, phenomenal. Uh, in this one, because i always I always just assumed he was the brother of Harry Seacomb or someone or just the, like the northern brother of <laughs> Neddy Seagoon or whatever It was so brilliantly done but yeah this 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 episode is an interesting one because there are a couple of characters who appear a couple of times in the Goon Show, but you certainly couldn't get away with it now, having them there, and it's very much a this is a pinpoint in time for the kind of humor you can do, and the mm-hmm. kind of humor you certainly couldn't do now. Uh, and the couple of characters were Yakamoto, sort of Japanese fighter pilot, sort of an intelligence man, and um, Eidelberger, again, a sort of a German. And it's fascinating because you, you certainly couldn't get away with making Yakamoto or Eidelberger a, a strong character in a comedy show now because it would be seen as <laughs> un- unbelievably inappropriate, highly racist and uncontrovertibly un- inappropriate. It's one of those things you kind of have to take a snapshot in time and go, this was OK then. It's not OK now. There are timeless moments, but there are very much moments of the time. Uh, one, one of the great lines, though, that came out of the sort of the exchange. Well, there are two or three brilliant moments uh, I found between Yakamoto and Eidelberger that were perfectly OK and certainly not racist in any way. Just the line from Yakamoto. I was just combing my teeth. I couldn't find a brush and say I, well, I, that, that's 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 goon show logic right there, because in the same way that they use money in a completely illogical way. And they've done this many times on the goon show. They say, here's a photograph of a pound. You know, <laughs> I haven't got a pound. I'll give you a photograph of a pound, because, again, it's a piece of paper with writing on it and it denotes money. So why is that any less valuable or more valuable than the actual pound note would be? yeah no, yeah no, moriarty fine give him uh, give him a, a rubber etching give him a, give him an etching of a, some change it, 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 it's the same thing and it's the same you know i was combing my teeth i couldn't find a brush it's the wrong kind of brush you know it's the wrong kind of brush but in terms of the english language that should make sense even though it doesn't
0: yes yeah uh, it's wonderful i was just trying to think you mentioned about they couldn't get away with it today Mm. doing these these outrageous stereotypes i'm trying to think of the last major comedy show where a british comedian portrayed a japanese character Mm. and it was probably spike yeah it probably
1: was spike he was probably Um... the last one really and i think the the the, the reason he was the last one was because he was of that generation where it was okay and therefore you just kind of have to accept that this is the way he goes Goon show is to me the sort of the 20th century radio equivalent of the sort of ancient Greek theater performances, because they always used to have three people, didn't they? So it was was a Greek or Roman times. They would always have just the three performers playing every part. Mm -hmm. So that was how I always just viewed it. It's like, well, they're just playing every part that's in there. And there are people in the show that are from different places. But obviously, you know, when you take it to an extreme and it's a stereotype of someone, you know, you, you can see that they've obviously pushed the boat too far. But it's again, it's part of observation, it's part of their interpretation, and it's also trying to get a gag. And I think in terms of comedy, you're always flirting with the edge of what's acceptable. You're always flirting with it. You can't please everybody. Some people will find this funny, some people will find this offensive. And I think that's kind of the way it is with every comedy performer. And the battle, the challenge is to make sure that you're not doing it on purpose to cause offence, for one, and second, that you're doing it in a manner which is contextual. And that's the yes. difficult. That, 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 that's where it, it needs to be decided what is and what isn't appropriate. But I always have this, you know, and it's funny because I always have this sort of frustration about the sort of the contrary attitude because of my love for things like The Goon Show. I still, to a certain extent, have this attitude of, well, if you don't like it, there's another channel. You know, Mm. go and watch another channel go and listen to something else you know it's not something that you have to sit there and write to the you know the the national newspaper you don't have to write it saying i was offended by this do something you can just change the channel that's perfectly allowed as well there are plenty of things that you could choose to listen to that won't offend you but yeah i mean i you have to say this is definitely of a time there are things that you can and can't say and they definitely flirted with that line a lot but i think a lot of that comes from their own personal experiences
0: there's also the character which Spike plays occasionally, which is that very vague character who, uh, in this case, Bloodnock offers him a Benzedrine.
1: Who is he basing that character on? I've always wanted to know. <laughs> I don't that, know. That, there must have been some sort of politician of the day or some public figure that that voice of his, you know, stuffed with fresh horse hair and is waiting directly over head and i i've known people like that i have known people who speak like that and you know wanted exactly the same thing And the funny thing is i've actually had conversations with people in that situation and the one thing i've actually wanted to say to them is here have a benzodrine." i really wanted to say it but i know i just can't get to that point but again the reaction is fantastic
0: yeah, do, do you know why I, th- I think, I suspect that he, he he created that character specifically to pad out the script. So that's- wouldn't surprise <laughs> me at all. So that he wouldn't have to write so much.
1: Possibly. I mean, that, that extra 30 seconds.
0: Are there particular types of gags that you prefer in, in The Goon Show? Are there, do you have favourite oh, types question. of gags? Or- it's
1: a really good question. Uh, I l- I'd, I'd love a bit of wordplay, but I also love something that's completely obscure. So, again, there's another fabulous exchange in this particular episode that I made made a note of um, where they're talking about, you know, navigation. It's like, uh, what course are you on? And he sounds like prunes and custard. It's like, no, no, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. But then it comes back. You know, he comes back to him. You know, the police airship is chasing you and they've already reached the speed of hot pie and peas. You know, it's like, what what on earth does that mean? But it's brilliant. It's absolutely yeah. really, continuing on a really obscure idea and a real, really weird path because I'm a car lover and a car enthusiast. One of my favorite ever goon show exchanges uh, where they're chasing after each other in a piano. And he's playing a piano very, very quickly mm. while being chased by a policeman. And it's like faster gridpipe! pipe. Can't you go any faster? No, I'm out of practice. I haven't played for years. And um, <laughs> <laughs> they get pulled over by a police piano and out steps a police saxophonist. And just continues. It just, just the, the whole rhythm of the joke just keeps going. And it's like, and again, it's this Fred Nurk police character from Harry Seacombe. It's like, hmm. do you know you're breaking the law? It's like, what's the charge? Playing a piano on the wrong side of the street. Fine five pound. He's like, well, naturally it's a French piano. Oh, well, then the fine will be 500 francs. It's just, it's following these ridiculous yes. paths and patterns of jokes to justify yes. the existence of the first joke. It's so <laughs> wonderful. And I love how you just get lost on this path of insanity. You can't come back. You've got to just keep following that road, that path that they take you on. It's wonderful. Everything yeah. about the goons is just... I, I have yet to hear a bad goon show episode, you know? And that's, that's quite a skill because I will look through some of the other comedy shows that I love. There have been some really bad Only Fools and Horses episodes. There's a couple of Faulty Towers episodes that really don't cut the mustard by comparison. For me, the mark of an ultimately brilliant comedy show it's one where you can look at it and go, there was not a bad episode. There was not an episode that wasn't funny. And- yeah, um,
0: I, see, to a large extent, I agree. There's a handful of shows that I think, and, and who am I to, to say this, but, you know, they, they could have perhaps done better. Mm. The, the one that sticks in my head as being one, that I, one of the, the ones I, I like the least is the spy or who is Pink Oboe. Which was the ah yes um, the one where Sellers wasn't there and so it was uh, Kenneth Connor Graham Stark I think mm. and it just seemed a bit flat.
1: You know the the thing is there are so many wonderful things that it kind of outweighs the negative. I mean it, it's so funny because the Goon Show was clearly a show that was deliberately designed to take on the sort of the music hall catchphrase generation but he'd also embraced it. That's what I find hilarious about it. I mean, Blue Bottle, every time he would w- come in, he would wait for an audience applause, not a sausage. Every time. I'd love it, you know. And again, because he's the youngest and the most immature, he wouldn't notice that that is not part of the script. He would just carry on with it. Uh, and that's really funny. The one, I tell you the the, joke, the the jokes that really wind my wife up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Whenever we've heard it. Uh, yeah. and it was where Eccles would always echo, shut up. No, shut up, Eccles. Shut up. Oh, yes. Shut up. Yes. Shut up. Because it's like, no, but th- that's what he's asking you to do. You're not supposed to echo it back. It's like, shut up, <laughs> Eccles. Shut up. No, for me, that just keeps it funny. It just makes something, again, that isn't funny, still funny. It's It just keeps going. Uh, and again I, again, I don't think any of that's scripted at all. I don't think that's scripted. I think that's just Spike interpreting how Eccles would respond to that and just running with it, just going yeah. on. To, to me, the best bits of Goons have always been where the script doesn't matter for those five, ten seconds. That's um. where the true genius of the show comes in. Um, he'll tell a joke in particular. Uh, Neddy will tell a joke. And then in the voice of Moriarty, or well, Spike will come back with that. May have worked at the Palladium, but listen to me. And just <laughs> they're all <laughs> on the floor by that point. Uh, it's so brilliant. This the This particular show had so many wonderful lines through it and so many brilliant devices through it. But there are some catchphrases that, you know, they were anti-catchphrase for a lot of it, but they still needed the catchphrase to make it work. And there are certain words that are not English and are not in any other... I mean, some of Moriarty's words that he came up with they've only ever been used in the goon show and they'll never be used ever again. So things like, sapristi. What is a sapristi? Yeah. Nuccapacacus. What's a nuccapacacus? What is that? <laughs> what is that word? I don't get it. But it, it, it's just like, it's it's painting the pictures of the goons. I, I've I've played a few different episodes to people and they're gone, what does that mean? And I went, I don't know, but it's brilliant, isn't it? And they've just looked at me as if I'm so so bizarre. It It... it, it It's just, it's embracing something that's just there. Uh, It's it's so beautifully creative. And the directions that they take the show in so many times. It's wonderful. And, And why on earth does this question keep coming up in the goons? I made another point when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about. Who is responsible for the drains at Hackney? Was there a particular question that was asked in the House of Commons in the 1950s that this was, was there a particular incident? I don't know if there was a particular incident or not, but this comes up at least six different episodes. Yeah, I've heard that. You know, what about the drains in Hackney? What, why <laughs> does that keep coming up?
0: But it's wonderful. Again, that's the thing. References like that, if, if they are based on something that was in the news or something that mm. people were talking about, it's been lost to the mists of time hasn't it? The the original point of reference. Yeah. I'll
1: tell you one of the other things I'd quite like as well was waiting for Moriarty's nickname that week.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Because Moriarty would always have a different nickname. Uh, (laughs) Count Jim Thunderblast Moriarty or something. And the best one was actually in uh, this particular show for me. This is Count Jim Thighs Moriarty. <laughs> it's, just, it's the worst possible word to describe anybody,
0: but it's just so brilliant. My favourite one, I can't remember which show it is, but it's Count Jim drop him Moriarty. Yes. <laughs> swanny Whistle. <laughs> the wonderful
1: the wonderful use of the swanny Whistle. Absolutely. Oh, man. I mean, I, I would need like six or seven hours Mm. To go into all of the little wonderful things about the goons well, that were enjoyable, I suppose the 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 most difficult is blood knock, because that's where the sexual inappropriateness
0: <laughs> comes into the show most yeah. often. It's always with blood knock. What what's the relationship between Henry and Minnie? Do you think?
1: <laughs> oh, what a brilliant <laughs> question! I, do you know, what I've I've had about three different interpretations uh yeah. over my years when i was a kid i thought they were brother and sister which is completely mm. wrong mm. um then i thought it was henry Crun and his carer Minnie better <laughs> just his carer <laughs> which is which is quite worrying because there are times when she's the one who definitely needs caring for <laughs> the other way around so they've had they've swapped roles i i, I often wonder if they've met accidentally on a London tube train. It's They're the only two people in British history that have actually answered to each other's crossed lines. You know, the whole crossed lines thing in oh, the London yes. Underground. I met you today on this uh, underground and you were holding a red umbrella and you were wearing a green coat. <laughs> I wonder if they're the only two people in history that have actually answered each other's adverts and then met up. I like to think that's the only thing that's...
0: That's a wonderful,
1: it's, that's I, a wonderful I, think that's the, I I think that's how they've done it. You know, just two very odd people and they're just living out their life together in a very, very obscure relationship that doesn't actually tally with the rest of society. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing they've got. I mean, even in the the, the episode after this one that I listened to, which was uh, the fake curse of the fake Nettie Seagoons. It's the most fabulous exchange between Henry Crun and Minnie Bannister where they get their own rubbish. You know, it's this wonderful oh, thing yes. for the very first time. We've got our own rubbish. It's amazing. <laughs> Hallelujah. And they're there. <laughs> where should we put it? On the mantelpiece where people can see it. It's just this. It's just, again, it's this wonderful challenge to what is considered to be beautiful and what is considered to be precious.
0: Think about Minnie Bannister. There's the suggestion that she's got this hinterland, that she's got this... Rather exotic background. She's had a dalliance, we understand, with Blood Knock at some point in the past.
1: Yeah, there was something that
0: happened. Do you know the Mini Bannister connection with Superman? I don't. I'm fascinated. Superman 3, Christopher Reeve, it was directed by Richard Lester. Right. Richard Lester had directed a show called Fred, you know, and and uh, he was also involved with running, jumping and standing still film. He's obviously very very much bound up in the Goons universe. He knew the Goons, he knew the characters. And in the closing credits of Superman 3, there's a character listed as Minnie Bannister. <laughs> is that right? That's amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. The other thing actually in comedy history, the other beef I've got or gripe I have hmm. uh, with an otherwise excellent show, One Foot in the Grave. There's an episode where meldrew Victor Meldrew is annoyed with someone for yes. exchange, and he says they were going on like mini crumb.
1: I know exactly the episode you're talking about. This is it's wonderful for you that you're on the line with an autistic who can remember these things to the absolute <laughs> minute. There was a fabulous episode. Uh, it was a Christmas edition of One Foot in the Grave. And Victor Meldrew is playing a game of Risk with his mother-in-law over the telephone. Uh, and you've got Mrs. Warboys and uh, Margaret there on the sofa next to him. And uh, every time he rolls a dice, double four, you know she comes back with double five, and yes. it's like, oh, well, here we go! I'm being blasted off the board by the allied forces of Mini Crun. It's a wonderful line. It's a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant line. Mini Crun, yeah. not Mini banister. So clearly, a lot of English people felt
0: that they were an item, <laughs> or or Renwick got mixed up when he wrote it. Maybe Yes, maybe. Um, it's always bothered me that. I, I do know what you
1: mean. It's like you've, all, you've, you've almost made a marital uh, relationship there. You've, yeah. you've made them get married and they've never done it. It's never happened.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and all the sinfulness that accompanies that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and there would have been a lot. There would have been yeah. a lot. Right, one army left. Five. Five. Six. <laughs>
0: Well, that's that then, that's me blasted off the board for the third game running by the like forces of mini Crun. <laughs>
1: Why I bother? But I find myself now... One of the little hobbies I have is when I, when I go to different places in the UK, or even further afield, uh, I will notice references to The Goon Show and try and figure it out. So this week, for, just to give you an example, I knew obviously I was going to be coming on the show. And uh, my family and I, we went on holiday to Cornwall. And on the Wednesday, we actually went to Tintagel. So I found myself listening mm. back to the specter of Tintagel. And I was mm-hmm. actually walking around thinking, do you know what? I'm actually in the vibe of the goons. I'm not really connected with this whole family holiday thing at all. I'm just poking <laughs> out little bits and pieces of information from the little bits of history I'm reading on these plaques. Uh, and my wife kept asking me that day, you are all right? You are enjoying yourself. Yeah. And it was, I was just, just going <laughs> a complete daydream. I was in a complete goon show daydream all day, just walking around Tintagel. And I do this a lot with various things so you know uh I did a thing with Dagenham recently I, I went to see the things in uh, uh, I went to see Ford in Dagenham a couple of years yeah. ago to do an event and again you know this goon show brain in the back of my head is thinking about wings over Dagenham uh I, went, I took my wife on our wedding anniversary uh 10 years we were married in 2016 we went to Paris and we went to Montmartre so obviously I was right there all the way through you know, the entirety of the day with the whole, uh, the Montmartre and just all the Toulouse-Lautrec jokes came out. Neddy Toulouse-Lautrec of Leeds. They they all just came out. <laughs> all of the jokes came out all day long. And what many people don't, may or may not know about autistic people is that we, re- repetition is a comfort. You know, the repetition and quoting of uh TV shows and radio shows. We just quote things and it's kind of like a, uh, some some of us do, not all of us, but there's like a an affection thing with it. And it's like a an easing relaxation mm. thing. Mm -hmm. And I will just occasionally come out with lines from The Goon Show I will into general everyday conversation. And my wife will look at me and go, what the hell are you talking about? I I don't know, but I do know in my head. Yeah, that that fits in from what I've heard from The Goon Show. I do it all the time. So considering that it was something I first heard, you know, back in 1994, it's still something that resonates to me even now. And I still find myself, you know, when I'm in places like Bexhill on sea or Clapham or Brighton or whatever, I still have these fabulous connections.
0: You got any plans to visit East Acton anytime soon?
1: Oh, I need to, don't I? I definitely Mm. need to, you know, to have a look at the past as a rubbish. We were talking about guest stars earlier, actually. My favourite ever uh, was the inclusion of A.E. Matthews. Oh, yes. Absolutely the most fabulous uh, guest appearance, largely because he didn't have a clue what was going on. (laughs) <laughs> what was going on at any point was it the evils of bushy spawn i think it was that particular yeah. episode. and he was just brought in at the end as a character they were communicating with and he didn't know what on earth was going on at any point and i think that he, added to the beauty of it
0: he'd never heard the goon show in his life no indeed no he'd and, never and, heard an episode and it was and again an example of you know a, a story at the time a news story or a human interest story at the time which is long forgotten but is immortalized in the shape of a goon show which mm. was the lamppost complaint that A. E. matthews had with the local council
1: and just fabulous how they brought that into it you know he would come up with one of the funny voices or whatever and A. E. matthews would just No, you're overacting you're acting mm. too much stop it it's mm. just a wonderful you've just been put down live on bbc radio you have They're absolutely beautiful you, you can't invent something like that you have to just allow it to organically happen
0: so, Jay, listen, thank you so much for, for, for joining me today. I'd love to have you back. Will you come back?
1: I would be delighted to come back on the show. I think it would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, you've you, it's been very cathartic. You've opened up uh, a mm-hmm. world of communication that I love to indulge in. For me, The Goon Show is part of my childhood. It's part of my adolescence, and it's definitely a part of my adulthood. So to be given the chance to come and talk about it again, I hope I wasn't too irritating for the listeners and everything, but no, it, it, for me, it's been an absolute thrill. I'm delighted.
0: No, oh, thank you. And and where can people hear or see or find you?
1: Uh, I'm on uh, most social media channels. So uh, Facebook and Twitter, it's at Jake Sanson. Uh, on Instagram, it's at Jake Sanson official. Uh, you'll find me in various places talking about Goon Show and various other comedy programs and movies and whatever on things like Stereo, on Spotify Green Room, and on Clubhouse. Uh, and then, yeah, just various different forms of car racing and whatever. But it's nice every now and then to talk about something different. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity.
0: Thanks again to Jake. Uh, okay, so please follow the podcast on Twitter. It's at Goon Show Pod, And please also check out the Goon Show Preservation Society. They're on Twitter at the GSPS. They've also recently started a Facebook group. Please search for them and uh, apply to join. I'll be back next time with more goon type content. So until then, bye. I'm innocent, I tell you, now, I am innocent. Were... gym, you know, gym, big gym. Now, if you'll just let. <laughs> big, Jim. big Jim's brother. Now, if you'll just let. Or oh, will you shut up? <laughs> I'm innocent. Now... Now, if you will just. I'm innocent. Will you shut up? He's innocent, he said.